0: At this time, any kids who are headed to Covenant Kids worship may be dismissed. We offer that for those who are four years old through uh, about second, first, second grade. They'll be coming to the same text we are, uh, just from a more age appropriate level. As always, kids are welcome to be with us here in worship as we come to our text in Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 11. Uh, We'll be in a a new sermon series here as we enter the new year. Um, Before I get to uh, the reading of our text, uh, you've probably seen these ads on TV or social media uh, for an organization called He Gets Us. Uh, It's an evangelistic campaign seeking to get people to think about and explore the claims of Jesus. And while there's plenty of disagreement among Christians as to the effectiveness and sometimes biblical accuracy of these ads. What you can't deny is that they are real to life. They show life as it is. They show the messiness of life. And one of the newest ads is titled Family Matters. And you can view it in either English or Spanish on their website, And the ad begins with the premise of a happy family, but starts to show that this family begins to unravel. How family life is often difficult, complicated, sometimes downright hurtful. The ad ends with these words across the screen. Jesus's family was messy too. His earthly family that he was born into is messy. His adoptive father Joseph died at some point during his lifetime, we're not sure exactly when. His brothers and sisters didn't seem to think too highly of him. In fact, his mother Mary even tried to dissuade him of his mission here on earth. But it wasn't just his immediate family that was messy. His ethnic family, the, his family tree was messy too. As you read through the first part of, of Matthew and Luke, the genealogy, you see people's names that you might not want to be in your family tree. <laughs> As we come to our text today, we're going way back into Jesus' family tree, and boy, is it messy. The story of Joseph is one that maybe many know, either from a Broadway musical or just the fact that this story has captured imagination. in uh, in movies, in writing, on Broadway, you name it. The story of Joseph is one that is fairly well-known, at least parts of it. He had an amazing Technicolor dream coat or something like that, right? Oftentimes, the story of Joseph is thought of as a story of good morality with a good moral ending, Sometimes it's thought of that it teaches, you know, let them hate you. If you're faithful, you'll end up rich, powerful, and vindicated. Sometimes it's taught or thought to teach, do the right thing and God will reward you. These are ways that we often read the story of Joseph. And frankly, it's how we often read many of the stories of the Bible. And we read the Bible this way because we read the stories often out of the larger context. We interpret them more as one of Aesop's fables than of God's redemptive story in the world. Instead of reading them in the context of this unfolding redemptive story, uh, the story of God's work in the world to fulfill the promise he made to Adam and Eve that we talked about during the season of Advent. The promise that he made to Noah, the promise that he made to Abraham, to save and redeem the world. So, with that in mind, let's come to Genesis thirty-seven, one through eleven, as God's plan begins continues to unfold in redemptive history. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flocks with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. And when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your word made flesh in Jesus. And Lord, as we come uh, to the story of Joseph, Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear Lord, that you would help us to see the work that you are doing in Joseph's and his brother's lives and the work that you promised to do in ours. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we begin our new sermon series that I've titled, The Gospel According to Joseph. And we need to make sure that we're coming to our text with a proper understanding of what we're getting into. As I just said, this isn't a, a story of God rewarding good morals or good character, though we do see Joseph showing both of those at points in the story. It's not a story for us to emulate in how we live within the structure of our families, though there may be a few things that we might want to emulate, but um, many things I don't think we want to. It's a great story to. Uh, dissuade from uh, polygamy, uh, if you have any qualms (laughs) about that. It's a story of God's faithfulness, of His grace, of His mercy, even when the people in the story aren't faithful, when they don't display grace, when they have no mercy. Clearly, God did not choose Abraham's family, which is Isaac and now Jacob, because they were way better representatives of traditional family values than, other, than their pagan neighbors, unless you count favoritism and murderous envy as traditional values. This is actually a story about Joseph and his brothers. It's a story about his, Joseph and his brothers which makes perfect sense in the context of when it was written. If you think about the original audience, Moses being the author of Genesis, the original audience was the people Of Israel wandering in the wilderness. Joseph and his brothers were the founding fathers of the nation of Israel, a group of flawed and deeply sinful individuals who God chose to make a nation belonging to him. In fact, the story of Genesis 37 through 50, as we see it unfold in Joseph's life, is not even about Joseph, not just about Joseph and his brothers. It is a key part of the story about God's plan for Israel and what he's up to in the lives of his people as a whole. God promised that he would choose the 12 sons of Jacob to make them into a harmonious, worshiping, serving community, the nation of Israel. The initial readers of the story, of the Israelites in the time of Moses, were a fulfillment to that promise. And yet Moses wanted them to look back and remember that there were times when that promise of creating a harmoniously united worshiping people, which, not sure how harmonious and worshiping they, they were in their lives, looked every bit as impossible for God to fulfill as an earlier promise that God made to an elderly man and woman, Abraham and Sarai, that they would conceive a son. Ultimately, God's purpose was not just to create and choose the Israel of Joseph's or Moses' day to be a worshiping community, his ultimate goal was to create for himself spiritual descendants of Abraham from every tribe, tongue, and nation who would together form a united worshiping family in Christ that would go beyond the physical descendants of Israel and encompass people from all the nations, all the peoples, all the languages of the earth. So that's the context of our story. It's the context of what God is up to. If that's the context of what God is up to, what do we need to be aware of from the text and what, God, what is God showing us? Well, as we begin, we need to realize that families and individuals in the Bible have just as many issues and problems as we do today. Often we'll find that they have even much worse issues and problems than we might face today. The families we encounter in the Bible are deeply flawed, just as the individuals are deeply flawed. We often go to the end of the story and have that inform our understanding and forget all that God did in their lives to form them into a people of deep faith and trust in their God. What we often miss is the great grace mercy, faithfulness, and hope that God offers to individuals and their families that frankly don't deserve it. In fact, what, God's, what is deserved is God's judgment, and yet instead of judgment, God works for their good and His glory just as He offers us today. So the main point of our text today is that our God of promise and restoration provides hope for anyone, even dysfunctional families. Our story begins with Jacob, and this helps to frame what we're about to learn about Joseph and his brothers. Jacob experienced his own dysfunction growing up, and his as a father, continues this pattern. Uh, this special robe that jo- Joseph uh, receives was not the first indication of Jacob's preference for his son Joseph. If you know the story of Jacob, you'll remember that he returned to the promised land And he had to face his brother Esau, the one that he had tricked out of his father's birthright, who was coming to meet him with 400 men. And Jacob was terrified that Esau was planning to massacre him and his family. And so he put young Joseph and his mother Rachel safely in the back of the caravan. Sometimes you might read over that and miss the fact that he put Joseph and Rachel at the back of the caravan and put his other sons and their wives at the front of the caravan. How would that make you feel? So that your father regarded you as expendable, or at least not as loved as your brother Joseph. The robe that we read about that Joseph received from his father Jacob, was not necessarily a coat of many colors as is kind of tradition. This says more likely referring to a royal garment. The same term is used in 2 Samuel 13, 18. But whatever kind of robe it was, it was certainly not the kind of clothing that you would wear if you were planning to work. Joseph has just come back from the fields with a bad report against his brothers and he's given a coat, a robe, a royal robe. No wonder his brothers hated him. And while the dysfunction that Jacob grew up with is clearly being passed down, there's also likely an interpretive dimension of Jacob's love of Joseph. In verse 3, we get a, a hint of that. We read that Jacob loved Joseph because he was, quote, "...the son of his old age." those reading who are have keen to remembering terms in Scripture might get a hint at what Moses, the author, is pointing us to. But first we might think, well, Jacob favored Rachel over his other wives, so the fact that he loved Joseph more was because he was the son of his favorite wife. Well, maybe but calling Joseph son of his old age links him to someone else. Links him to Jacob's own father, Isaac. The child that Sarah bore to Abraham in their old age. The word is used of Isaac in Genesis 21 two, And so Moses is helping us to connect the dots. Jacob loved Joseph more than his brothers because he believed something that we discussed in our advent series he believed that he would be the child God had promised the one who would carry on the promised line of the messiah the promised seed of the woman in genesis 3:15 we might easily assume that because joseph is the hero of the story he must be perfect in everything that he does <laughs> not so fast we meet Joseph at 17 years old. He's out in the fields helping his brothers with the sheep. And the text says he was a boy with the sons of Bilha and Zilpah. He was sent along with his brothers to do all the menial and unimportant jobs. And he comes back home with a bad report about his brothers. Now, in English, a bad report can be either true or false. I don't know about Spanish if that, if that phrase, a bad report, uh, can be either true or false. But in Hebrew, the particular phrase has the connotation of a false or malicious report. In Proverbs 10:18 in fact the word is translated as slander. So Joseph played his own part in causing the divisions in the household between the children of different mothers. Not only was Joseph Jacob's favorite, but apparently Joseph believes that he's God's favorite too. He shares his dreams and it's one thing perhaps for him to share the first dream and then finding out how much his brothers hated him for it, to turn around there and share the second dream. I mean, it shows either a total lack of social awareness and insensitivity at best, or a downright malicious spirit at worst. And then we have the brothers. The brothers are clearly united in hating this dreamer. They already hated him so much after he received his robe (laughs) That they couldn't greet him. The text literally says they couldn't say shalom to him. Shalom being that traditional Hebrew greeting that you would make to someone when you see them. And that was before the dream started, and their hatred intensified after their dreams, the text says. And don't forget that these brothers were dangerous men. It says if Joseph had been born into the mafia, Reuben had already shown his disregard for both morality and the family structure by sleeping with his father's wife, Bilhah, an act of rebellion. Simeon and Levi had massacred an unexpected town back in chapter 34, and Jacob did nothing to stop them. These are some bad dudes. This is a family desperately in need of divine intervention. This is a dysfunctional. Family. So what does all that mean? What do we take from looking at Jacob, Joseph, and his brothers? Well, as we start out on this journey through this story, in our own lives, we often assume that whenever something terrible takes place or relationships tragically fall apart or traumatic sin blights our lives, that God must be absent, and nothing could be further from the truth. God's redemptive plans do not lead us around conflict or divorce or broken families, or even away from the outworking of our own sin. Instead, He often takes us right through the storm, where all our dysfunction and sin along with that of our families and friends, is on full and tragic display. This is when the gospel of his powerful grace and sovereign mercy is fully on display. I don't know. There's so many of us here this morning, and I know a lot of your stories, but I don't know them all. Maybe your family life Maybe your life feels or looks like the dysfunction we see in Joseph's family. Maybe it has in the past. Are you on a difficult journey today? Maybe your whole life. Do you feel like your life is on hold or worse that God has forgotten about you? Have you been misunderstood or mistreated and wonder if God will ever open a door for you? You know, Joseph had some faint promises that his father told him about his grandfather and about his great-grandfather. He had a couple dreams to hold on to as he navigated his story. But what about you? What do you or I have to hold on to? Let me suggest that we have something much better. Way better, in fact. We have the promises of God confirmed in the person work of Jesus Christ. You have the promises of the gospel that are all true, yes and amen, in Jesus Christ. You have the promise that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, as Paul says in Philippians 1 16. Your path may wind through the valley of the shadow of death, and take you into battles which will emerge with wounds that only you and the Lord knows. Yet he will be with you every step of the way as his promise. Jesus promised us no less. I am with you always, even. To the very end of the age and while Joseph's life was often one of difficulty and being sinned against though he wasn't sinless his brothers were a very different story they would learn about their own depravity of sin as we track his brother's story through Joseph's story particularly shown in Judah's story that we'll get to in a few weeks we'll see them change We'll see Judah change and his heart soften precisely through the experience of his own sin and its exposure to the point where he was ready to give up his own life for another brother. The experience of his own sin and its aftermath transforms Judah and his brothers through the work of God, transformed into a people who knew grace and mercy. Maybe you find yourself there today, knowing your sin all too well. When we begin to see the depth of our sin, we gain a greater appreciation of grace. We gain a greater appreciation of what God has done in our lives or is promising to do in our lives. We gain that because God Does not sovereignly enable us to restrain our sinful hearts. Our sin repeatedly disciplines us and shows us that God did not choose us because of what wonderful people we are. Far from it. We are profoundly broken and rebellious people. But our God is a great Savior for great sinners, for great sinners like Joseph, for great sinners like his brothers, for great sinners like me, like you. He is a God who revels in rescuing and redeeming hopeless causes, lost causes, and turning them into a united community to together worship Him and sing and serve in His grace, not because of our own goodness, but because of His. This story is not merely about what God is up to in the lives of Jacob, Joseph, and his brothers. It's about what God is doing in redeeming a people for himself in Christ. In the same way, your story, my story, is part of that larger larger story of God's redeeming purpose. My hope and prayer for you today and for us as we go through this story is that we will be reminded repeatedly of God's goodness, of God's mercy, of God's grace in the midst of circumstances that seem out of control, in circumstances that seem like God can't possibly use this to bring about his purpose. That God can't possibly love me. That God can't possibly change me. That God can't possibly Whatever. Too many times we believe that. I pray that as we dig into the story of Joseph, we will not believe those lies. That we will see and believe that it is not in our ourselves, but it is in our great God who is a great Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of Joseph, for a really messed up, dysfunctional family. Not for the dysfunction that it caused or for the hurt and pain. but for the reminder for all of us, no matter where we come from, from the best to the worst families, you are a God who saves and redeems. You are a God who can bring about forgiveness and renewal and restoration. You are a God who desires for us to know your great love and mercy and to rest in it, to know that you are with us in all the circumstances of life, those of great joy and those of great sorrow. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to know you more. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.